One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and as always, former England fast bowler Steve Harmison for the usual busy show. We'll take a look at some of the headlines from the retention list for this year's 100, and Indian cricket writer Chetan Narula will be previewing their Test and T- T20 series against Sri Lanka. Durham Chief Executive Tim Bostock will join us after the ECB are asked to investigate the severity of their punishment for financial wrongdoing back in 2016. And we'll look at at, uh, some of the other week's big stories, like former Australian all-rounder James Faulkner facing a dispute with the PCB and New Zealand thrashing South Africa in the first test match in Christchurch by an innings and 276 runs. So plenty to discuss. You're listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. I mean, let's begin with the retention list of the 100. The eight teams have retained between nine and 12 players. Uh, the uh, Trent Rockets have retained 12 players, so they've only got four picks in the draft, whereas the Welsh Fire retained uh, nine, so they've got seven picks in the draft. Lots and lots of stories all over the place. Most of the retentions entirely uh, to be expected. Uh, There were some big names, um, for one reason or another, who weren't retained, which raised a few eyebrows. Which are the stories which grabbed your attention in between all the hard work you're doing in your real job? (laughs) To be honest, man, I'm I'm a bit surprised that someone like Banton and Clark and Dawson, no retention. They're three three big names. I thought Joe Clark might have had an outside chance. Well, I still think he might have a chance to go into the West Indies. If somebody gets somebody gets injured, I always find this man is a bit strange when it comes to uh, you go off the draft and you go off like last year and the twelve months down the line are different players. I would think the better players or the worst players. So you know you're retaining players from last year because they did well for you, but unfortunately, if they're averaging ten or twelve between now and last year, then what you're retaining them for? So I look at some like Tom Banton being away with England, Liam Dawson bowled beautifully in that first T20 international in in uh, Barbados for England, but obviously didn't get a game when Liam, Liam Livingston come back in. So there's three big names there that I think 
if the Welsh Fire have got a few quid up their sleeve and they've got more manoeuvre to play with, I'd be looking at them three and thinking if I can get all three of them, that would make me a lot stronger. Quentin de Kock, what's the story with Quentin de Kock? Well, it's interesting. I mean, as you know, he's retired from Test cricket, so he won't be involved in South Africa's tour of England. There's a couple of points to make here um, about the non-retentions. It works both ways. So one of the franchises might well say to a player, listen, we want you back, mate. We still value you, but we reckon your value has gone down. So we're going to hope that you come up at a cheaper price in the auction. The other thing to mention, and this may... Complete speculation applied to Tom Banton because I reckon his stock value has risen. If a franchise wants to retain a player, they do still have to discuss it with him. They do still have to agree terms. So it's entirely the player's prerogative. He may well say, I also want to play with you. Um, I also want to stay, uh, be involved with you next year. But I reckon uh, a team might come in for me at a higher price. So if he's on 50,000 or 60,000, he might be thinking, I reckon I'm going to go for 70 or 80. At which point the franchise to whom he was contracted last season can use their right to match card. So it works, but it's not necessarily, uh, we think you're rubbish now. <laughs> we don't want you. It's quite complicated. Yeah, and again, there's some good players, good players out there, and it, it, it largely comes down to as well what cricket they've got in between time that is going to make these players potentially. You know, have, have had a. You look at someone like Liam Dawson, who's a pivotal part of, of Hampshire, plays all three formats of of the game. You know, Banton, the, you know, similar. Clark, similar. I'm just going off three these three big names because we've highlighted them. Where's, where's their bodies going to be? But it's, it's also some of the, the younger players as well that are actually in the draft. So they've been moved back. Well, the hundreds have been moved back, what, a month? So that then might have a knock-on effect of the amount of cricket that we do play in this country. That might have an effect on not only the, the draft, but the selections as well going into it. So it's going to be intriguing to see how different the hundred will be six weeks later than what it was in the inaugural year last year. We know we've spoken a lot over the uh, the last year or so about the, the power of the IPL and um, the way that countries like New Zealand actually organise their international schedule around the IPL because they've got a dozen players who want to play in it. It's really interesting to see how low um, South Africa's um, brand is uh, sinking um, because it, it, it sounds like South Africa's big-name players... 10 of them went uh, in the IPL auction and South Africa have a two test series for world test championship points against Bangladesh in the first two weeks of the IPL. But it sounds like the likes of Kahisa Rabada and, and Aidan Markram and, and the, the 10 who were picked up will be allowed to go and play in the IPL and not play two tests against Bangladesh. And I've also been reading and I haven't been able to establish it that Kahisa Rabada is going to be in the player auction. And that, as you know, two of the three test matches, the first two, uh, first um, and second test matches of South Africa's uh, series against England are during the 100. So mm. I don't know whether there's any weight being placed on, on uh, boards around the country by, by the 100 administrators to get the big name players involved. But it looks, it looks like they have ambitions to do that. Well, they'll be trying everything. They've, they've thrown a lot of money at the 100. They have. They've, and, a, and a lot of us sort of cricket traditionalists don't like the 100 for what it stands for, for what it is. And 
I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hide behind the fact that I think this is a great competition because I don't. I really don't. I think it's a competition that can't go hand in hand with the blast. I think something's got to give over the next three to five years. Um, whether it is the blast, whether it is the hundred, I'm not the, the change of format. But I think the hundred is here to stay because they've invested so much into it. So it's like having two different coaches. It's like having the red ball and white ball team with England. Which is the one we're going to prioritise? We're going to prioritise one and make it the best in the world, which we have done. England, yes, great. Owen Morgan, but Joe Root's team suffers when it comes to when it comes to international cricket boards at this minute in time. Financial resources around the world, they're going to they're, they're trying to make sure that they're, they're balancing their books, they're getting their players to play the, the the most they possibly can without to make sure they keep them playing as much as they possibly can. And if it means 10 South African players goes and plays the IPL and doesn't play against Bangladesh, I think South African cricket will take that at this moment in time. It's the same with 100. The 100 will want to protect their little bit of cake and make sure that everybody eats it the best way that they can have it. Um, I don't see South African players having that decision to make when it comes to the 100 overplaying for South Africa as opposed to the IPL playing for South Africa because of the amount of money we're talking about. I don't. I think South Africa will be a full strength when it comes to England Test matches. Not like what they're going to be against Bangladesh. That is just the IPL, unfortunately. I think there's franchises around the world who think they're very powerful, and we think we are. Well, we think we've run. We won't own the game, don't we, the ECB? So we think we've got the best competition in the world. The hundred. I think it's small fry compared to what the IPL is, and I think every single board around the world will find that out as well because. Like we've seen not long ago in September, when the hunt, when the IPL comes calling, no matter where you're playing international cricket or you're not playing international cricket, thinking of the fifth test match, which was shoe on and in, in the middle of the summer, the IPL comes calling and the IPL gets what they want. Unfortunately, when the ECB decide that they're going to throw their muscles around, I don't think they were as big as what the IPLs were when uh, September come last year. So I think we're going to put it into perspective. I think South African players will be playing for South Africa come the start of the summer and uh, start of the 100. Um, and then if the, one, if the 100 want them, they'll have to wait for them. I hope you're right, Harmi. Uh, here's a thought for you. If Kahisa Rabada bowls four overs in every game for the Punjab Kings in the IPL, each ball that he bowls will earn him £2,250. Good on not him. bad, is it? Um, and the Good other thing him. about the, the other thing about the hundred army is that I, I've I've been eating olives for thirty five years, and I still don't like them. Uh, but I'm determined <laughs> to acquire the taste. So um, uh, this is a, the hundreds a giant olive for me at the moment. But I'm I'm a man with an open mind and, and determination. Okay, changing subject very quickly. Chris Wokes has uh, told the Daily Mail that uh, he is perfectly capable and confident of leading the England attack in the Caribbean in those three test matches, despite believing that he would be dropped after the Ashes. Yeah, I expected him to be dropped, but I didn't expect Braun Anderson not to be going either. So what do I know? He's, he's got a chance. This is his chance. He had a chance in the, he had a chance in the one-day competition in 2015 when England decided to move Cook, Broad, Anderson on and Owen Morgan built his group and away he went. Now, he's got that same chance. The problem for Chris, Chris Folks is the record he's got in Test Match Cricket in the Southern Hemisphere is not the greatest. And I think that is something that's going gonna to hamper him, but it's also going to affect his confidence. If it doesn't go quite right, first Test Match in Antigua, and he isn't getting the ball to swing, and he looks a bit redundant, 
then all of a sudden, where's Chris Wokes' head going to be with no Broden Anderson around to help and get going? Be a, then I'll say this, and I'll say this time and time again. England are going to ask a hell of a lot of Mark Wood. And if they think that Chris Wokes is going to be leading their attack on flat pitches, I think we've proved in Test Match Cricket that the Broden Anderson one will come back and come back many, many times over the course of them three Test Matches. Right, on to uh, Tim Bostock, who I'm delighted to say, as promised, has uh, joined us live. It's a wide-ranging topic, Tim, um, but George Dobell, well-known and highly respected cricket writer, has, has written an open letter to the ECB's Head of Integrity. And it, I must say, it's, a, it's compelling. It, it is very, it's well-researched um, and, and cleverly makes the point that, as many, many people said at the time, uh, the ECB didn't only knock Durham down in 2016, but they gave the county a good kicking. Relegation from Division 1, a 48-point penalty to start, um, no test matches. It was, uh, and then, of course, there's a very complex question of uh, the potential conflict of, of interest of Colin Graves's involvement. I, I presume you've, you've seen George's letter, have you? And, and are you in favour of, uh, of the ECB reopening the wounds? Well, uh, yeah, listen, I have seen uh, George's letter. I read it yesterday. I'm not sure we're in favour of the wounds being reopened, to be perfectly honest. It's a tricky situation for us. I wasn't here at the time. I mean, Harmy was around the place, obviously. Um, and certainly, I think a lot of our members um, would probably be in favour of it being reopened. But I can't honestly see how much benefit that is, is, is going to give to us. Um, we've moved on since then. Um, we've rebuilt the club. We're on definitely on, on a trajectory that's much more positive. And I can't honestly think it's, 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 it's going to be any benefit to look back. And, the, and the, I think the two issues are, they are very difficult to deal with. I mean, on, listen, at face value, and I was living in Australia at the time, I remember reading about the Durham situation. I thought, wow, um, they must have done something really quite damaging to the game. Um, and then when I ended up coming over to the UK to take up this role, I obviously looked into all of the detail behind it. And I must admit that the punishment definitely, definitely didn't seem to fit the crime in Durham's case. But that's a completely separate issue to the Yorkshire situation. So um, we don't particularly we don't particularly want to end, end, enter into a sort of uh, a tit-for-tat um, situation with, with Yorkshire. We feel desperately sorry for the situation that's happened at Yorkshire. We feel desperately sorry for what's happening in the game, to be perfectly honest, because it's completely disrupted all of the counties um, and all of the cricket boards. And in fact, all of the club cricketers up and down the country in the UK, it's been pretty cataclysmic what's happened these last few months. So um, I think I think we're better off dealing with how we deal with that, if you like, and how we solve that rather than look back. I know you, you, you don't want to sort of open wounds. Unfortunately, I do. I think it's a disgrace. What happened to the club I love, the club that made me, the club that... I give everything for to see what happened. I thought was a was a disgrace. And when you look at it, what George has written, um, I know the club don't want to comment too much on it, but I'm happy to do that on on the club from from a, a club point of view because we lost five international cricketers. We lost a lot. We lost an international ground. I first played on that ground when the only thing that was on that ground was a scoreboard mm. in 1996. And I look at that. What happened to us? We had to spend £800,000, £900,000 on a media centre. And then three weeks after I finished playing for Durham, I came back to commentate on a game of cricket for Sky TV from a caravan on the side of the pitch. You know, things that this club has got that's had to go through, 
And I know that they are, I do agree with Tim that they are separate incidents when it comes to the punishment between Yorkshire and with Durham. But Tim, just when you walked into that club and you walked into the door, it was a little bit longer, a little bit time since I had left. Just enlighten people on what you had to go through because we were at rock bottom. Yeah, no, listen, the club was completely decimated, not, not just um, financially, um, and it was very difficult to see how we are going to get ourselves out of that mess, but also the, the playing roster as well was completely decimated, as you say, and when we lost five international players plus two or three others as well that would never have lost. We also lose the opportunity of signing players as well that probably may well have come to Durham and rebuilding a cricket squad, a cricket team to compete at the highest level um, you know, without the benefit of a Manchester City checkbook or something like that. It takes a long time. It's almost a generation, to be perfectly honest, because some of those players that, that we lost were inspired by the likes of you and the likes of Collie um, back in the day. Um, and it's only now, um, when we look at some of the young players coming through, that, that have been inspired by Wooden Stokes. And it, it's almost, we, we've lost five or six years that, that was extremely difficult. And I know certainly John Lewis was coach at the time and Jeff was around and we had to make some changes and that was all very difficult as well because I think he was dealt a difficult hand as well. But it, it was clear that we just needed fresh eyes, a new beginning, you know, and a, and a fresh start. Morale was actually at rock bottom, to be perfectly honest. I'm really pleased at where we are now. And I'm a little bit surprised at where we are now because we're, I think we're ahead of the curve, to be perfectly honest. But, you know, when Beefy uh, asked me in Australia if I'd considered coming back and taking the job on, uh, I didn't really realise just how how bad it was, not just financially, but morale. You know, the whole it, it was a real doom and gloom um, scenario. So, I, listen, I'm not understating what happened, Harvey. I, I mean, it was absolutely devastating. As I said before, the punishment definitely didn't fit the crime from the stuff that I've seen. And I've seen a lot of this stuff. Um, and I think, you know what, if you spoke to people that are still around at the ECB now and Tom Harrison's clearly still there, I, I think Tom would admit that now, to be perfectly honest. Um, and I think they'd admit that they probably got it wrong. Um, now, what I will say is that in the period since I've been here, uh, the ECB have bent over backwards uh, to help us out uh, and be supportive. Um, now, is that slight guilt it, it may well be okay but I, 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 at least they have you know they've, they've tried to put right probably some of those wrongs um it's still not a lot of consolation to all the members um and the people that are around at the, at the time but nevertheless they they have been supportive in recent times uh, and as i say it may well be slight a slight slightly guilt-edged but you know what at least they've done it a bit like visiting the pedestrian in the hospital after you run him over but but Tim, um, there are some some practical things that uh, the ECB could do. Um, you Durham were encouraged to build a, a stadium with the required facilities to host international cricket. I believe the county were led to believe that they would host matches, which never materialised. So you know, rather than bringing chocolates and flowers, they could just actually say over the next five six years. You we you will host two te three test matches five one day internationals that that would be practical yeah no I agree Neil it, 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 uh, you know and I do think listen the, the one day international model that we've got so we're guaranteed ODI cricket until twenty twenty four and then there's a new agreement then and I fully expect that we'll be awarded and we'll continue with ODI status the bit that we had to give away was our test status uh, as you quite rightly say 
and that and that was the price at the time that was deemed that we had to pay. Um, would I say that we would wouldn't want Test cricket back here ever? Well, no, I would never say that. Um, but the model works for us at the moment. What I would, what I would like to see, I think, is rather than get some of the sort of uh, beginning and end of season type test matches against maybe the not so glamorous test sides um, because they really, they're not great in this part of the world in terms of an economic model. Our, our preferred model, I think, would be every other year to be awarded two uh, ODIs effectively, whether it be a T20 and an ODI. Um, that that certainly, I think, um, would go some way to, to fill in that gap, if you like. If you're not going to get the, the sort of middle of summer uh, prime test matches it's a real risk in this part of the world I think the way they allocated tests back in the day is completely different to the way they allocate it now and I, I do think they got to the stage whereby they were trying to encourage the likes of Cardiff the likes of Durham uh, the likes of Bristol to improve their facilities because Headingley, Edgebaston, Old Trafford um, even the Oval they'd all got a little bit complacent and tired in those previous 20 years and some of those stadiums whilst absolutely I've got amazing history and some fantastic test matches over the last 100 years, I think they just assumed they were always going to get test cricket. And that therefore, I think at the time, the ECB said it was a bit of a shot across the bows and said, right, we've got some new people in town. We've got some new grounds. We'll encourage them to improve their facilities. And of course, what Edgebaston, Headingley, Old Trafford, et cetera, did, they then pumped in significant amount of cash into their existing facilities. And now we have got some fantastic test match grounds. And I guess that's the irony of it, if you, if you like, with the Yorkshire situation, because clearly Yorkshire needed to spend a fair bit of money at Headingley. I mean, that really was a ramshackle uh, ground <laughs> 10, 15 years ago, but it's far from it now. And of course, that's come at a price. And this is where it all gets very interesting, if you like, if you think about George's letter, because there are lots of, um, you know, there, there, are, there are lots of... Uh, potential conflicts there, I guess, in terms of the money that was pumped into the club to get test cricket, to keep the financial model going. Um, so I think that's I think that's probably where I think that's probably where Georgie's coming from, I think, with his with his open letter. I'd love to get Test Cricket back at, at Durham. I've played in the very first Test match. I tried. I was desperate for Vaughan to lose the toss and bowl first in that game. Uh, I, I must admit, I wasn't very good at bowling first balls, but I was desperate to bowl that first ball <laughs> at Chester Street when we played Zimbabwe. But I agree, Tim, that there's times you played the West Indies in May and it was freezing. You know, the, I come on with the Australian, bat, uh, the Australian coach, at the time, he had a, he hammered the West Indians. Man, as you've never seen like it, they were doing field and practice in their batting gloves. It was that cold. <laughs> we brought, I think we brought Sri Lanka up to play a game, which started on a Friday. ECB brought Sri Lanka to Durham, which started yes. on a Friday night. And it was the first time England football team had played outside Wembley in 10 years. And where was it at? Sunderland. Yes. So the ECB haven't helped Durham. No matter what anybody wants to say, anybody can sugarcoat it or whatever, I think Durham have been left high and dry when it comes to, to the ECB point of view. But I think my sort of burning question is, is where does the club go now? Are the club frightened to speak in such a terms, which is going to put too much pressure on the ECB? And what I mean by that is, are we saying you know, we want answers of what happened to us in the past? Or are we just quite happy to take the punishment and say, right, let's not so much move on because... I still, I'm still hurting, and I'm, I'm probably coming from a member's point of view here. I'd be yeah. saying this as a member to the my yeah. chief executive. Do we want to fight this? Because me paying my membership to watch international cricket or to watch the best to produce Steve Harmison, Paul Collingwood, Mark Wood, 
you know, stoked shooting match that we've had over the course of 25, 30 years? Um, or do we just try and, and to try and move it on? I'm finding myself in a in a difficult place yeah. to, to sort of push that question towards you. But I think if I was a member, I'd be asking it at the next members forum. Yeah, and listen, I completely understand that. I'm just not sure what the end result will be. I don't see what benefit. It might make us feel a bit better. I think that's but, what I'm asking it for. I know, yeah, I know, I get that. I, I, get, I get that completely, um, you know, because it's still, even now, five years on, whatever, it's still very raw. There's no doubt about that. I'm just, I'm just thinking, right, okay, what benefit is there going to be for us to get involved in this sort of spat, if you like? Behind the scenes, um, in terms of some of our future plans here um, around um, a hotel and improving our facilities and the opportunity for the ECB to support us and help us out uh, in a really positive way, they're doing that. And I really, I'll be honest with you, Steve, I don't want to jeopardise that, to be perfectly honest. Um, I think we both want to sort of move on together. And I, yeah, and I do think, I do think there's a, there's a there's a there's a slight um, guilt about that severity of punishment, and I do think that the ECB are going to look to put it right. I don't think getting involved in a spat between George DeBell and Colin Graves is going to help us at all. I think quiet diplomacy behind the scenes and some of the stuff that I'm working on um, with the ECB exec um, about stuff that we done here at Durham, I think is probably the best way of doing it. And I'm not generally one for quiet diplomacy. Trust me, um, I wouldn't normally go really really hard, but on this occasion, on this occasion. Right. I'm going to take wise counsel. And I think there's there's another way to skin a cat on this one. And that's what I'm intending to do. That's what's got me into trouble so many times throughout my <laughs> career. I've never been able to do that. Um, but just finally from me, the question I asked about the plight of the club when you first walked into the club, I think I'd love to know, and I'm asking this as a member, I'd love to know where you think we're going to be in the next three to five years after this sort of blows over and comes because... I look at some of our young players and we've got some exciting times coming up. Yeah, no, we have. Brilliant. We've got brilliant times coming up. We've got a really good squad now. It's a squad that's probably going to be good for three, four, five years, I think. Just the squad that we've got now. Um, the um, 15s and 16s, Johnny Windows tells me they are the most talented group of young players that he's had coming through. He reckons there's, a, there's six or seven of those will should certainly absolute minimum play first-class cricket. And when I was thinking about how old were those kids when they started watching, they probably were the ones that were inspired by Stokesy and Woody. Whereas Stokesy and Woody, if you like, were probably inspired by you and Collie. So I think if you plug those young players into the existing group of players that we've got, um, I think we're in for really, really exciting times. I think we were pretty unlucky last year that we didn't quite pull off a trophy, which would have been fantastic. Um, but we were the seventh leading point scorer after the group stages, conference stage of the county championship. Disappointed that we're back to second division, first division again this year. But I think there's big radical change on the way in 2023 anyway, Harmy. So the most important thing is that we we finish as high as we possibly can this year, um, because that, that will then dictate where we're going to end up in 2023. Because if I'm reading the mood music, I don't think we're just going to be shuffling chairs on the Titanic uh, with this Red Bull um, review, if you like, and a whole domestic structure review. I think it's. I think Strauss is leading that, and I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be quite radical, and I think it needs it. Okay, we've been we've been pushing things around for twenty years now, twenty five years. So um, I, I think I think it's time for a time for a real real change in our domestic structure. You've got one very good batsman in David Beddingham from South Africa, and you've just signed another one, Keegan Peterson. 
We have. I was going to ask you about about him, Manners. To be perfectly honest, um, um, obviously, yeah, I don't think he's played much in the UK before, but we're, we're, we're hoping that he's going to get off to a fast start. But it'd be quite challenging here, as Army will tell you. Opening the batting at Durham, Chester <laughs> Street in April is not easy. Yeah, you just need boxing gloves instead of batting gloves. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's played. He's done his time in the leagues. Um, that's all I can tell you. And uh, you know what? He comes from a very quiet little town outside Cape Town, Paul. Um, he's uh, he's understated, but he is. You won't find anybody more determined. Um, you know, he he's moved three times in order to uh, to a provincial level, and um, he is. Yeah, he, he's a he's a diamond. He's a diamond. He's done the hard yards and he's just got better and better and better with each year. So um, if he, if you can get him enough sweaters um, and keep him warm enough, I think I think you've got a really good one. We look forward to that. He's got, he's got, eight, he's got eight Champo games for us anyway. So it'll be a fair old running before the South Africans come over for the Test Series. So no doubt we'll get accused of, of, <laughs> um, of getting, getting him in shape uh, for when they, when they play England in the Test Series. Many thanks indeed for your time, Tim. Really appreciated. Thank you. Thanks, Manners. Thanks, Army. That was Durham CEO Tim Bostock. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talks 4-2 in the Neil Manthorpe and Double Ashes winner, Steve Harmison. And next up, we'll take a look at India as two of their stalwarts are dropped for the Test Series against Sri Lanka. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talks 4-2 with the Institute of Cricket. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talks 4 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed. Now available, as always, via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Delighted to say, as promised, joined live on the line now from India by Chetan Narula, well-known Indian cricket writer and broadcaster, to talk all things India, to talk about the IPL and um, the recently concluded T20 series victory against uh, the West Indies and chess matches and white ball games coming up against Sri Lanka, including the news, well, there's the... Um, Dhriman Saha scandal with uh, the journalist who was apparently demanding um, an interview. So much to talk about. The Also, the axing of uh, Ajinkya Rahani and Chiteshwar Pujara from the squad. Is that a surprise or is it a surprise that it's taken so long? Chetan, take your pick. I have spread the wares before you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Neil. Uh, thanks for having me on, on the show. It's, it's always uh, happening with Indian cricket, isn't it? I mean, over the last six to eight months, especially since Virat Kohli stepped down as captain, it's always gone into high gear. And it's it's almost like a never-ending soap opera, of course, uh, with the IPL auctions and everything thrown into the mix. Let's start with cricket itself. India had a decent outing against the West Indies. I thought Rohit Sharma has given a good account of his captaincy. Uh, maybe a bit of a departure from how Virat Kohli ran the ship in uh, white ball cricket, a bit more experimentation, keeping the T20 World Cup in mind. Of course, he's now been named as uh, the full-time Indian captain as well. He'll be, he'll be taking over the test squad against the Sri Lanka series. And of course, a few changes uh, for that series as well. And uh, the Sri Lanka T20 is coming up first, but the IPL auctions, uh, you look at uh, Ishan Kishan, you look at Shreyas Ayer, Deepak Chahar, and some other uh, overseas names, uh, they fetched some really good value. I think uh, it's going to be an exciting IPL season with 10 teams. Everybody's itching to see those two new teams in action. As also the older ones, Chennai Super Kings getting some of their players back, Mumbai Indians getting Ishan Kishan back. And, uh, you know, being very, very clever in the players' auction about their picks. So everybody's excited about uh, how much cricket is uh, coming up ahead for us. Mentioned the the IPL. We'll stick with the IPL when it comes to it. They've got two new franchises that's coming in, and they look actually very, very good and very, very strong. The other, from an English point of view, Roy's going to open a baton for uh, Gujarat, which he's going to play, which is great. Um, it's great to see a lot of the England players who have gone into the auction are actually probably going to play in their franchises, which is which is very good. Mark Wood at look now, so yeah. I think the question for me on that front, Chetan, is. How much is it going to be history of the IPL going to go against them? Or is it the new franchise? Will the the powers that be just let the coaches get on with the job? And hopefully, if that's the case, they might have a chance of winning it. I think uh, it's... I think it's a scenario where uh, the slate has been wiped clean. If you just look at the way, uh, I'll come to the new franchises in just a bit, but if you look at the way Chennai Super Kings or Mumbai Indians, uh, who are traditional powerhouses of the IPL, the way they have gone about the auction, Chennai going with the tested formula, getting back a lot of the players that they wanted and uh, getting some new ones in because you can't get them all. That's the dynamics of, uh, of a player's auction. Or you look at Mumbai, they had their four retained players and then they waited and they waited and they let go of players like Quinton de Kock and Trent Bowl because they were saving up money for Yushan Kishan. But at the same time, they, they went for big buys for like Tim David and... Uh, Jofra Archer, what a tremendous buy he is, by the way. Archer and Bumrah bowling next year together. Everybody's excited for that already. But look, they were very, very clever regarding their picks. I think with the, with the slate being wiped clean, it gives everybody a great chance. And for the fact that uh, the IPL is not going to be widespread throughout the country. So no team has really picked 
players according to their home conditions. They have they have picked them according to you know the conditions that might be there in Maharashtra. That's what we are hearing. Four venues across Maharashtra, and then the knockouts in Ahmedabad. So it's going to be a varying degree of conditions. I'll just say this. I think I'm really excited about the two new franchises we're joining in. What we have seen is that the owners have let a core group of people who are good at cricket, who know their cricket, to decide and select and pick the teams. And I think it's a model that's worked for the previous eight teams and it'll work for these two new teams as well. Hardik Pandya leading, KL Rahul leading, Rashid Khan. I was wondering how much would Rashid Khan go for in a player's auction, but uh, Ahmedabad, the team Gujarat, uh, they... They decided to pick him in the players' draft and uh, rendered that question moot. But look, uh, those two teams are looking good. And I, for one, can't wait for the IPL action to begin. I've got so many questions to follow up um, about the IPL <laughs> auction. So, uh, but uh, I also want to ask you about the test side and, and Rohit Sharma. What, what do you say to people outside of India who are unfamiliar with such vast sweeping changes in the mega auction so often and the fact that players have, you know, in, in the 15-year history of the IPL, players have played for, you know, five teams. It, it is it is a peculiar thing to get your, your head around. Um, so while you think about that, uh, the test team, um, so the veterans, Rahani and Pajara, dropped. And also Rohit Sharma's appointment, it, what, what I found really interesting is that he's older than... Sachin Tendulkar, MS Dhoni, Virat Kohli and Saurav Ganguly were when they captained their last test. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's quite a riddle, isn't it? But let's start with the IPL before we move on to the other things. As you said, uh, the players' auction, it's raised a lot of question marks this time as well. And a lot of people, not only in the media, but also in the BCCI, Power Corridors, or even the franchises for that matter, are looking at the fact that uh, maybe it's time now to put the auctions aside, maybe have a mini auction next year, but certainly no more of these mega auctions where you're tearing apart all these sides and then going back to ground zero. That's happened a lot, uh, five times now uh, over a 15-year cycle, but this time it needed to happen because you have two new teams coming in. So the only reason you need to have a mega auction is when you have new teams coming in. For the foreseeable future, that's not going to happen anytime again soon. So Probably over the next couple of years, you have your mini auctions where you have a few more players while the teams become a unit playing together, gelling together across a couple of seasons. And maybe, maybe the IPL might look at the players draft system going ahead. But again, that's all conjecture. But but the voices are there that the mega auction does not serve any more purpose. You can't keep on tearing up these sites again and again. You need to build that bond with the fans uh, and build that like, you know, like in the UK uh, with, with the Premier League teams and uh, elsewhere, you need to have that bond over decades with a particular side. So you can't do that again and again. Now let's come to those uh, interesting questions about the test side. Rohit Sharma, of course, uh, it's intriguing. It's intriguing what the selectors are thinking. It's clear that they want uh, a leadership figurehead, and Rohit Sharma is a good captain. There's no doubt about that. He's shown in white ball cricket. He's a decent captain. He's a good captain. So they want that leadership to come through in test cricket as well. I thought R. Ashwin could have been a good choice, but I'm not an Indian selector for that matter. India do not play a lot of tests this year or the next year. So that has been a crucial factor in this, in this age thing that you mentioned, Neil. We play two tests against Sri Lanka, the one test against England, two perhaps against Bangladesh. 
and then we have four next year. So that's it. That's it for this FTP if India doesn't qualify for the World Test Championship final. So I think it's a short-term arrangement, even though the selectors are not saying so. There's every chance that Rohit Sharma will not even play all of these test matches. We don't know what could have happened if KL Rahul would have been fit and available. So a lot of questions thrown up, but fact of the matter, the selectors were looking for a continued leadership, some sort of senior uh, seniority in the side, a senior figure in the side to show the path forward. And they've said that they want to cultivate leadership options. So I think they really have an eye on the future as has seen has been seen from the dropping of uh, Rahane Pujara, Rudiman Saha, Ishan Sharma. I think that's the end of the road for him in particular. So, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a few surprises that even came back the last time. Um, yeah. These two older guys... They've had, they've got good numbers. You look at Broden Anderson. Broden Anderson are still, you know, doing well in the top of their game. This has been a, a decision coming for a, about a year now. And yeah, you mentioned the Saha one. Has this whole thing been blown out of all proportion? I think with Ishan Sharma, you're absolutely right. He did not bowl well in England at all. We were very surprised that he was even picked for the South Africa series, but he did not play. When Umesh Yadav plays a test match ahead of Ishan Sharma, who's played hundred odd test matches. That shows that he was just there to make up the numbers just in case they needed him in a COVID pandemic world. So I think this is the end of the road for Ishan Sharma. He is not really the bowler he was even before the England series last year. India need him, needed him to be the workhorse. He's lost the pace. He's lost his consistency in line and length. The wickets have sort of dried up. So how India replace him, his experience, that's going to be a very, very vital question. Will somebody like Mohammad Shami become the workhorse? Because his bowling is very, very different from the way Ishan Sharma bowls. So that's going to be an interesting question for Indian pace attack to answer. About Rahane and Pujara, categorically, the door is not closed on them. Categorically, no. It's tough for them to return, but they can. They can. If they score a lot of runs in, in the Ranji Trophy, which has to their good luck, it has started this year. It wasn't played last year. Uh, both of them have scored runs in the very first match. Rahane with a century in the first innings. Pujara with 91 of 86 odd balls in the second innings. So they're scoring runs in domestic cricket. They are, they're very good players to not score run in domestic cricket. So the door is not closed on them. However, will they come back for the one-off test in England? Will you know? Like I said, India do not play a lot of test matches this year or next year. So... And, and by the time the 24 FTP comes uh, through, it might be too late. So uh, it's a question that's up in the air, but certainly the door is not closed on them. As regarding uh, the Ridhiman Saha scandal, it's absolutely disgraceful uh, what's happened with him. There is, uh, I mean, we are all storytellers. We, we're not, in a way, we are custodians of the game, but there needs to be a respect for the people who actually perform on the field, and Rudiman Saha has represented India at the highest level. He's he's had some brilliant keeping displays. I don't think it's been uh, blown in, into disproportion, but the sad fact is um, that he's not revealed the name of the person involved to the public eye, even a lot, even though a lot of people have guessed it. A lot of things have happened in the last six to eight months, starting from Virat Kohli's captaincy, the whole saga, how it's unfolded. It's, le- it's left a bad taste in the mouth for a lot of people who care about Indian cricket. And this was an opportunity to stamp all that out, to weed all that out. And this is my grouse against the BCCI, because when you look at the way the media relationship is with 
between a lot of other cricket playing nations. I mean, uh, we have Neil here and we have Hamerson here. So you guys know the, the relationship between the media in your countries or in Australia or even Pakistan or even Sri Lanka for that matter. That same relationship perhaps does not exist in India between the media people and the Indian cricketers or the Indian cricket board. This was an opportunity to rectify that, to bring, it, bring, bring the community closer, to weed out people who are such a disgrace to the game. Once again, that opportunity has been lost. And there's a reason why such people flourish. And this is precisely that, because the system, the Indian cricket system, allows this to happen. And for me, that is really, really sad. Uh, just a last word on Saha. Uh, I know he's hurting that he's been dropped, the way he's been dropped. Uh, any active cricketer would be hurting because they play with so much pride. They've represented the country, but it's the right time for India to move on, not only from him, but also from Ishan Sharma and potentially move on from the likes of Rahane and Pujara, a two-test series against uh, Sri Lanka. Uh, no disrespect to Sri Lanka, but uh, it's a good breeding ground for the youngsters to come in. Jordan, enjoy the series against Sri Lanka and thank you very, very much indeed, as always, for your time uh, and your insights. It's um, always fascinating to, uh, to chat all things India with you. Thank you once again. Cheers, guys. Thank you. I was Indian cricket writer and uh, broadcaster Chetan Narula. Right, off to Christchurch we go. You may remember, those of you who listened a week ago, uh, Harmi picked South Africa to uh, to pull off an upset against uh, the World Test Championship uh, holders. I went for New Zealand um, and we put a pint on it and I'm halfway there. I've got half a pint in the bag <laughs> because New Zealand absolutely rolled South Africa by an innings and 200 and lots. It was the second heaviest defeat for South Africa. I have to say, Harmi, I could see it coming as clearly as a train in a tunnel. Well, you didn't get half a pint. I think you get a full pint for the amount of the, the sizable victory that was on show. Matt Henry bowled beautifully. You know, it was a perfect pitch for, for the seamers to bowl on. They just looked miles away, didn't they? South Africa looked as though they were... They were what is that with South Africa? Is it possibly 10 of them or, you know, is there as much, up, to, up to 10 of them going into the IPL and they've got one eye on what's going on in the future, IPL, or is it one eye what's going on in the past with the Cricket South Africa or all the disruption with their coach in Mark Batch, uh, Mark Bouch? What is it with South African cricket at this minute in time? Because it seems as though they're going one step forward, but unfortunately two steps back. It's all of those things that you say there. Yep, Mark Bouch has got a disciplinary hearing for gross misconduct coming up in the middle of May. They've got another two and a half months to go. Then they go almost straight to England after that. So there's that playing on everybody's minds. Obviously, Faf Duplessis and Quinton de Kock are, are, are amongst the IPL contingent. So it's only eight of them there. The thing is, Harmi, what I saw coming is purely, purely practical. Only three of this squad have been to New Zealand before. I'm talking about two and a half days travel. You've done the trip. You know how, yeah. how wearying that is. Into 10 days of managed isolation and quarantine, the first three days by themselves in their hotel rooms, Harmi, you know what the process involves when you try and fast forward the process of getting over jet lag. They're by themselves in their room. They've never been to New Zealand before. They're talking to their families and their wives and their girlfriends at two, three o'clock in the morning and then falling asleep during the day. So that first three days is critical to start the process of getting over jet lag. They didn't. 
Then for the next three days, they're only allowed out for a, an hour a day. They call blue sky breaks. <laughs> Get out like prisoners into the courtyard for hours exercise. And then only for the last three days, they were able to train in small groups, then two and a half days of nets into a test match. Good luck. Paul Collingwood said England was sitting ducks uh, before the Ashes, and they were. South Africa had absolutely no chance whatsoever. But, but you know, but uh, uh, apart from that, all the other issues that uh, are, are swirling around in that squad. And you're right, you're right. Um, this time of year, just before the IPL, there's hundreds of players around the world counting their money before they've quite got it. Yeah, and it, it leads uh, you into to the fact that you're going to the World Test Champions. That there, there could be once this is all done and dusted. You know, talk about the review of what what happened. Hopefully, we never have to go through another pandemic again. But the way we've travelled in the world, and who's travelled, and who's played, and where we've played, that might be something that we sort of looked at in the future. I'm talking about very difficult to play in New Zealand. Letting, letting people in from a government point of view, very difficult to let people in through Australia um, and play in there. And then you, you add the travel that goes with it. So, yes, I didn't see that. That's why you're one point up on the uh, on the first test match. Um, but I'll go back to what I said right at the very start. You've got a cricketer with a bat in his hand and you get a, a wicket which suited the, West, the, the New Zealand bowlers and Matt Henry did, did beautifully. David Warner, Pat Cummins, Josh Hazelwood and Mitchell Stark all rested for the white ball leg of Australia's tour to Pakistan. Um, interestingly, um, Glenn Maxwell was also not picked um, and he was also said to be resting, but he's not in the test squad. Anyway, it makes sense, doesn't it? Um, that's a, it's a really, really big tour. And for once, I'm not seeing anything cynical about those players being omitted. No, no, it's uh, it seems as though that's that's the right thing, right thing for them to do, especially after the the World T20 and and the Ashes. It's one of them. It's one of them things, man. Is when you rest players and you're winning, everybody says yes, it's the right thing to do. When you rest players and you're losing, people will say it's the wrong thing to do. And that's what England have had over Australia in the last sort of six months. Whenever England rested anybody, idiots like me said, "No, you're doing it wrong because you're getting beat." Unfortunately, when you win it and you win the Ashes, decision-making, you can do what you want. <laughs> All right, a couple of other news stories. Australia beating Sri Lanka 4-1 in their uh, T20 series. Harry Brooks scored a century in the PSL for the Lahore Calendars. Azar Ali joined uh, Worcestershire and Ben McDermott has signed for Hampshire for the blast. And Stuart Law is the latest coach to uh, be uh, thrown one of the hottest potatoes in the, in the coaching game. Head coach of Afghanistan for their tour to Bangladesh replacing Lance Klusner. So um, uh, it looks like at some point, if you're in the international coaching game, you will coach Afghanistan at some point. <laughs> yeah, it seems though. Um, yeah, you, you'll not have to play too many home matches. So you get to travel <laughs> around the world and live in some nice hotels. Um, and I, I look at Afghanistan and I think, what? Fan there's some fantastic players in there, some really good, exciting individual players. Can you get them to play as a team? You know, where they're going to be in 10 years' time is all. Is also, for me, We've at Ashington, we've just signed a, a young uh, Afghanistan off-spinner um, for the summer. So hopefully he comes and, and he can show and can produce you know, the talent that they've got when you've got somebody like Rashid Khan to look up to. We just heard Tim, Tim Bostock talking about players at Durham looking up to 
guest stars and their development going through. Um, so good luck to Stewie Law on that one. I thought, I've seen the Harry Brooks entry. Good that England players, good young England players are getting runs in the PSL um, because it's a, it looks as though it's a, a decent standard. Oh, it's Gibson. Um, and, and Andy Flower look as though they're running away with it. Can they get through the, the knockout stages and get multi-tan through to win it again? Um, I think it's been a good tournament, the PSL, watching it, watching bits to it that I've seen. So I'm pleased to see Young Brook get runs because I think he's going to be a, a future England player uh, in a lot of the formats. I think he could play test cricket for England. So that was nice to see. What did you make of James Faulkner throwing his toys? I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> I really did. The money that the money that he says he probably hasn't hasn't getting paid. He's going to have to pay at this hotel to fix the chandelier that he threw his bat and his helmet into. Well, it's it's unbelievable. The PSL have been absolutely squeaky clean for all the dodgy leagues around the world that haven't been paying players. They have been absolutely squeaky clean. One hundred percent payment record. Not a single complaint in seven or eight years, and they came out with the most detailed statement, didn't they? They said. Faulkner, James Faulkner, asked us to pay the standard 70% upfront into his account in Australia. He then changed his mind. We did that. He then said, oh, no, actually, can you pay it into my account in, in England? So the PSL said, OK, but we're just going to have to wait for the first transaction to be reversed before we do that. Well, that apparently wasn't good enough for Mr. Faulkner. So the kit went into the chandelier. He demanded that a, uh, a flight be bought for him immediately. And he stomped off and said um, that the PSL were a disgrace. <laughs> another whinge in Aussie, innit? So we'll see, what, we'll see what comes of that one. I'm not sure he's going to get another P PC, um, a, a Pakistan Super League gig. Um, as there might be other leagues around the world looking at his conduct as well. So... He might have just shot himself in the foot big time there. And by the way, <laughs> did you hear uh, or see very uh, just just a few hours ago, Ireland have qualified uh, for the T20 World Cup? Obviously, yeah, that's Scotland great news. Got there. Mm. That's great news. It is. It's fantastic news for Ireland. So again, we're going to see another nation close to our yeah close to our shores in the T20 World Cup, and yeah, you know, fingers crossed that the again they go and fly the flag. Yeah, because we need we need nations around us playing at a higher level of cricket, and then there's there's no question we can go and play against these these nations if they can get to a level level and standard. And it would be it would be absolutely fascinating to have a an inter competition between England, Ireland, and Scotland. It's some part of our summer, shorter format of the game. I think the crowds of that would be amazing. Oh, what a brilliant! Brilliant idea and a good positive point to end on. Brilliant. Thanks, Harmy. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. And as always, if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you prefer to get your podcasts. And we'll be back at the same time next week to build up to England's tour of the West Indies, which is live and exclusive right here on TalkSport 2. But for now, this has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Well, thanks for downloading the Cricket Collective as part of the following on feed. If you ever have any ideas for guests or maybe a question or two for Steve Harmison or Neil Manthorpe, you can, of course, get in contact at cricket underscore TS. Get your questions in and the guys will answer the questions every Tuesday on the Cricket Collective. Also, if you got this far, please leave us a review. Nice one, if possible. 
uh, and uh, subscribe as well. And uh, if you are already a subscriber, then feel free to tell your mates. And if you want more content uh, from the likes of Steve Harmison, then uh, check out his YouTube channel. Uh, just type in Steve Harmison in YouTube and you'll see uh, a whole host of uh, fresh content, big interviews, uh, reaction, team and series preview and reviews, uh, the whole lot there. So uh, if you got this far, thanks again for listening to The Cricket Collective and uh, we'll see you again soon. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.